Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of September 5th. And let me begin with a big thank you to everybody who took a break with us in August and then jumped back online with us in August. Now we're tracking back into regular live podcasts. But thank you, everyone, for the outpouring of support. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit here, and it's just folks like you. It's our friends who get on their phones, get online, and make a donation and support us. And we are really, really grateful. And and we're able to come into the fall with some joy. And, and so thanks, everybody. Super grateful for your support. Now, for the introduction of this week and the coming weeks, I am welcoming back into the studio after, I don't know, like a two-year hiatus, Blaine Eldridge. Hey, Dad. Good to be here. <laughs> Welcome back, pal. Many of you know that Blaine and Sam have run a thing called Ansons for years and a podcast and a journal. And about a year and a half ago, Blaine stepped away from that to pursue some other dreams, ambitions, to clear some time in his calendar to do some writing. And so it's been a while since you've been in the studio with us. It has been a while. I like to think this is kind of like there was a moment in the Chinese Wars of Integration where... They had to go pull an old general out of retirement to beat this puzzle during a siege. So maybe this is like that. Maybe you came and found me on my mountain retreat to come back into the studio. Well, exactly. That's what we've done. We've, we needed a samurai, so he went to go find one, which actually is Japanese. So I realize I'm mixing my cultural uh, metaphors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Blaine, you you took time away from us. You, you you stepped away from working at Wild at Heart in order to do a number of things, including some writing. What have you been working on? Yeah, you know, you may actually be better at talking about it than I am. What I what I like to say in shorthand of the past year and a half is that Jesus invited me to live more of my dream life to expose the deep flaws in my character. <laughs> Oh, that... Which is kind of the wonderful background of... like life, but it also <laughs> sounds hard. I was reminded the other day, Oscar Wilde has this line, there are only two tragedies in life. One is not to get the thing one wants, the other is to get it. <laughs> I think that the getting it is the more merciful way into, you know, a season of like deliberately wanting to become a happier, more robust, steady person. But that's at least been the story of my last year and a half. I stepped away from Wild at Heart, one, to start a homestead. You know, we moved about 45 minutes outside of town, and it's dairy cows, and it's chickens, chickens and gardening, and trying to steward a five-year-old's heart through the death of two goats, to which she'd become attached in like 24 hours. And then I've been working on another podcast and nonprofit project where if you have ever just dreamed of listening to this voice for three, four hours at a stretch, that dream can come true. And then it's the Mount Vigil podcast. Yes, the Mount the Vigil way. podcast. There's been more than one request that we shorten the episode length. <laughs> the, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the recent yeah. episodes have been three hours long. So, so we're going to probably a... do that. And then. 
seriously, though, you've read what I'm writing. How would you describe what I'm writing? Blaine started writing a book retelling Old Testament stories with color and depth and research and history. And he actually just started reading these to us, to the staff, to me and Stace. And the overwhelming consensus is it is utterly magnificent and needs to be written. And you couldn't get it written, you know, with what you were currently engaged with. So you stepped away to write. And I think you're about halfway through that book project. I like to think slightly more than halfway, but halfway is probably realistic. Anyway, it's a beautiful book. Going into, you know, Moses, Abraham, Josiah, the prophets, Elijah, but building up to all of them were foreshadowing Jesus. Yes. Who he is and and why he does the things he does. Yeah, and also just to recover the epic flavor that is at the center of the whole salvation project. So yeah, I have kind of an advantage in that I really like old things. That's one of my love languages with God. And so it's much easier for me, in fact, to engage and tell and spend my time in Old Testament stories. This killer book on Jesus is coming. Um, and the Old Testament and the New Testament and the epic work of God in the world. But however, we just needed to tell people where you were and <laughs> what you've been up to, why you are here today. We have been in a series off and on, gosh, practically for the entire year in one form or another, trying to help all of us towards resilience, towards fuller tanks, towards a deeper union with God, towards how do you care for the soul in an hour like ours and having passed through everything we've all just passed through. What is it like to do that here in a time of transition, one age to another? People feel the upheaval. They feel the instability. We feel the need for relief but we're not quite sure what to do with all that. And the other day, I came to a realization that I think I've been giving a wrong impression. Because, Blaine, you haven't been in the studio with us, but you've been listening to the podcast as Alan's been talking about his reserve tanks. And Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jamie and Alex were in here talking about the lethargy creep and needing to replenish and renew. Here's where I think we're giving a wrong impression. By using the analogy of tanks... You know, is your tank full? How, how are you doing? You're at 40%. I think we're giving the impression that there is something we can do to fill our tanks. And then from that place, we're going to be good. Like, we'll, we'll be able to motor on through the fall. Isn't it a dreamy idea, though? <laughs> I feel like the first three years of my marriage, I thought that marriage worked that way, that I could fill Emily's tank that was some kind of relational reservoir with a beautiful weekend together, hiking, and then kind of vanish into my work and relational world for the week and then pop out again and here I am and did the tank make it? Are we good? Let's fill that up again. Only to discover it doesn't actually work that way. So human what beings, would, yeah, what would you replace this with, Dad? Well, human beings are porous. 
We are leaky. The soul is literally porous. It's what makes it permeable to the presence of God. If You are like a sponge. You can be filled up. You can be squeezed out. But the analogy that Jesus chose was vine and branch. It was something more of an enduring union, a practiced union, a cultivated union. And when he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you, he's acknowledging most people don't remain in him, that it's some sort of choice, that it's some sort of practice. And so, gang, we're here to add more to the conversation we've been in, but I think to take this in a very tangible direction of, instead of talking about full tanks, half full tanks, what does it look like to cultivate our daily practices towards union from which we will receive resilience, from which we will be well. Not the occasional stop into the gas station, yes. right? Not, hey, I got summer. I'm doing pretty good. Can't wait till Thanksgiving break or whatever. You know, kind of trying to map your way through these moments of holiday Exactly. Yeah, like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, even dad, it's just worth really doubling down on that vine branch, John 15 thing, remain. I learned in the course of pushing in out, you know, out of a desire to know, to learn how to do that. Even that word, meno, it just means to make your home in. Yes. So... Live inside the presence and the nourishment of God, yes. which is still, you know, pretty abstract because living inside God would have to mean living inside a life that every part of which is set up to facilitate the experience yes. of God. Yes. I remember Dallas Willard's classic line, you know, churches would bring him in and want to talk about discipleship and how do we get our people to mature. And primarily it was around character formation. It's like, why aren't our people more loving? Why are our people so angry? Why are our people angry at each other? <laughs> why, why is our own congregation at each other's throats, you know. And so Dallas would always say something to the effect of, well, your system is perfectly designed to produce the results you are getting. <laughs> In other words, like, if, if you want to transform people's lives, if you want to ground them in a daily experience of the nourishment of God, you have to plan for that. You, you got you to gotta set up a whole way of getting that done. Yeah. And, and so, folks, we're not going to, like, hide the cookies here on the top shelf. We are starting a series today that will probably go over four or five episodes around a way of life. How do you develop a way of life? Why would you bother developing a way of life? And then how do you do that that provides the very thing everyone who listens to this podcast wants, which is deeper intimacy, more experience of God. Yes, transformation of my character. I do want to be a, a more loving person. I, I'm, I'm aching to be 
over some of these wounds of the past. I, I do want the transformation promised. How do I get there again? Like what, what's the means towards that? It's a great question. I feel like we should include at the beginning something of a disclaimer and then a warning for you, Dad. Just understanding, well, in, in the form of a story, which is there, there are risks attached to teaching people to live this way. <laughs> okay. And so to explain those risks, mm. just briefly go, again, all of this is just the fruit of an extreme frustration with my own inability to hang on to experiences of God. So I would regularly realize, man, there are people who would kill to have an experience of God in worship like the kind of experience I actually have pretty often. And receiving his love, visualizing in my imagination the face of the Father, going like, it's really beautiful. And then... I get back to being really harried and impatient and unhappy. So out of a deep desire to not be that way is our warning comes from the 500s in Italy, rural Italy. Bing, bing. There is this a is the little monk, history. Exactly. History you know, channel background music. Pan over the you know Italian countryside and go to a cave. And you have in the foreground cave and the background monastery. And in the cave, you have a monk who is living in a, you know, a deliberate structure of prayer, relaxing into the goodness of God, work, sleep, stays pretty evenly divided. And in the background, you have this monastery, and the monks know him, and they really, really like him. It just feels so good to be around him that when the abbot dies, they come and they ask him, would you come join our thing and would you be our abbot, and he goes, that is a really bad idea. You will not like the life that I intend for you to live because I've watched you in the background and you like the offer of the world too much still. There's too much trying to get things quickly. There's too much going able to like, you know, well, wing off on a daily random passion thing, you will not like living my way. They go, no, 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 we will, we promise. Like It's like the disciples, oh, come on, we're ready. And so they eventually persuade him and- We can drink that cup. We can drink that cup, it sounds great. <laughs> what is it again? And he lays out a very basic way to live. And within a very short period of time, they are trying to murder him. <laughs> they try to poison him twice. <laughs> who is this? This is Benedict. Okay, the Benedictine. Who founds the Benedictine order, who's... But also considered, isn't he considered the father of monasticism? For sure. Like, the, the father of what we're talking about, no question. Like, yeah. how do you structure a monastic life? Yeah. This is the guy. When they can't poison him, they eventually just ask him to leave. <laughs> Would you please go? Mm, and mm. so the kind of warning at the beginning is, you know, it really is an amazing invitation. It's amazing that more is available. But it's also a very hard sell, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Because there's a story that we want to be true, and then there's the story that is true. 
I did some food allergy testing. I have to face the fact, this is like two years ago, came back gluten intolerant. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want that to be the story. So I just continue to eat gluten and pay for it. And finally, I'm at the point two years later where I'm like, uncle, I give, I get, I have to face reality. And reality, again, this is, this would be a Dallas's thing. He would say, reality is what you hit when you're wrong. Okay, so we do want resilience. We do want a deeper life in God. We want all that comes from that. Are you kidding me? The beauty, the love, the joy, the, the experiences that are actually pretty common now to the Wild at Heart team of deep encounters with God. Uh, yes, of the healing of our humanity. Yes, of overcoming old, old wounds and patterns. But in order to get to that great stuff, you have to change your way of life. You have to adopt a way of living that allows you to get into a rhythm and a cadence. It's the cumulative effect, right? It's not the one and done thing. And so to begin with Blaine, let's talk about the power of desire and the power of what we want. Because in the end, it's only when you come to the place where you say, I want this, I want this, I crave it, I desire it, I need it, that I will let go my obsession with, you know, British premier soccer. I will let go my obsession with gummy bears. I will, you know, whatever, whatever the particular addiction of the week is. Yes, I will, I will just learn in my nature to dislike lies so that when the world tells me it can be bought, I won't want to believe that's true anymore. Yeah. So let's talk about the power of desire and how desire fuels our search for and creation of, I guess most importantly, our adoption of a new way of life, a rule of life. Everyone needs a rule of life. Yes. And in this hour, more than ever, the madness of the world is draining us. Isn't it? Well, I mean, the amazing thing is that everyone already has a rule of life. But very few people, myself included, made it on purpose to do what they most wanted to do. And I start with poisoning St. Benedict because... And saying it's a hard sell because we have to talk about that you really have to want it. You really have to start with what do you most want? And, and can you differentiate between your desire, which is real and in a certain way legitimate to feel good at the end of the day, and your, your much deeper desire to be someone who people gravitate to, to learn more about life in the kingdom. Yes. You know, and I think we start with a combination of positive orientation and discontent and just asking one another, like, do you love the life that you're in? Do you love it? There's, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Dad. There's a pretty good book on desire called Desire. And <laughs> by that Eldridge guy? By that Eldridge guy. It's very good. 
And in the first chapter, you say there's only one fatal error, and it is to pretend we've found the life we prize. So we actually kind of need to look at the discontent and acknowledge it's not working. And then there are just these shifting moments where we realize, man, what do you most want? Not just to do with your time, but what do you want it to feel like to be around you? Have you spent any time dreaming into the ideal future form of the marriage you'd like to be in? I, following a prompt from a friend, spent some time journaling, you know, which I think should just be a regular practice, into the person I would like to be. What do I want to be like? What do I want it to feel like to be around me and beyond? I want to get a lot of money and be famous and then be happy, right? On the one hand, I have this other one of, man, I actually want someone who's just so comfortable in the limitations of my own life, but inside of them finds an amazing ability to create and love people and be with God. Yeah. I mean, hit you with a couple quotes that are so helpful. Here's from Dan Allender writing about the, the key part of desire and understanding your story. But he goes, desire is the thing that bridges our past to our future. It lies at the core of who God made us to be and who we are. It is both our greatest frailty and our highest beauty. Our desire completes us as we become one with our lover. And it separates us from him and brings death as it wars against his and our will. There's another one, though, that is from Ruth Haley Barton, and it's from the beginning of her book on rule of life and the spiritual practices called sacred rhythms. She starts with these beautiful stories of experiencing having these flashes of the life that she wants to live. But then she has to remind us, she, she writes, your desire for more of God than you have right now, your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation and experience than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness is the truest thing about you or that your giftedness or your personality or your job or your identity as husband, as wife, mother, or father somehow defines you. But in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. Mm. The reason that we're starting here friends, is that if you want something deeply enough to begin to make changes toward it, that will sustain you. The desire will sustain you into the journey. It'll get you going, and then it will help you like recover your desire as you go along. I mean, Jesus stands up in John 7. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. Are you thirsty? Like he, he, he's trying to get them to locate their desire. And, and when things begin to get rough and many of his followers start bailing on him, I don't know if they tried to poison him like Benedict, but they start bailing. He turns to the closest circle and he says, you too? 
And Peter just kind of laughs and goes, at this point, where exactly are we going to go? <laughs> Peter's like, we, we've tried all the other options. This was actually C.S. Lewis's experience too. He, he tried to write a book on this that isn't very good and wasn't very successful called The Pilgrim's Regress. But he was trying to almost give a bit of his own personal journey of, folks, I've tried everything else. I've tried sex, money, ambition, pride, vanity. I've tried career. I've, I've tried it all. And it doesn't work. Now I realize that the one thing I need is God and a life that is built around him. And so towards the end of, of Resilient, as many of our listeners have gotten to this point in the book, I say, the mistake that most people are making in this hour is how do I fit a little bit of God into my busy life? That's the mistake. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I want God. Are you kidding me? Yes. Well, tell me, where do I go to? What do I do? But the fundamental mistake is I'm going to hang on to the insane structure of my life, which is producing exactly, your system is designed to produce exactly the results you're getting. The mistake is, how do I cram God in? How do I get a little bit more of this? Okay, guys, tell me, give me the three things. When in fact, what we need to do is to restructure our lives that begin with God and then build outward from there. And you kind of see, what else do I have room for? And once Stacy and I began to do this with our calendar and say, we need, you know, X number of evenings a week at home in quiet with God in order to be the people we want to be, pretty quickly you, you understand what you have to say no to. You go, oh, well, there just isn't room for these other things. Like, yeah, like, there goes the square dancing class, or there goes that small group. Or you just go, sorry, like, I have to structure my life in such a way that will sustain me in these years of, of real global intensity, of spiritual intensity. That's what I want. And so I'll do it. Right? It's so good. And we're coming in for a landing on this episode, but just a color commentary story, because I will say no, it will hurt when we finally start to close the door or lay down our other strategies for happiness. So I remember it was this year. I remember the morning, and I had kind of been through multiple permutations of, like I said, live on this beautiful homestead in a beautiful valley, and when people would look at my life, they'd go, man, this is pretty idyllic, dude. You get up and you take your kids out to milk a cow and Sometimes you and your wife sing together as you're milking and then you put everything away and it has chores. And inside, I'm just looking at it going, honestly, just I'm <laughs> dying. And I would go, man, something you is really— You told me the other day you were actually ready to go through the barnyard and kill oh, all the animals. Oh, just shoot everything. <laughs> That's and, pretty desperate. That's pretty bad. Right? That's pretty fried. And so, you know, you would think— those moments of revelation of, you know, being deeply convinced if I could make my circumstances a little different, if I was in a bigger house, things would be better. Well, 
I feel like my story is Jesus being like, fine, like check, you know, move the piece. There you go. You're living there. Did you spontaneously come a person of incredible satisfaction and trust in God and good counsel? No. So the day, Em and I, there's a guy who lives with us downstairs. He had been using my car for something and he left for work with my keys in his pocket. And with your keys and his pocket. My keys. So he took his car and my keys. And in in the way that these moments can just come together to be so clear. Em and I were trying to figure out what to do with our calendar. And for the next week, not the day, but I was watching the dominoes fall and thinking, I cannot not have transportation right now. My whole life is going to implode. And I felt like Jesus go, exactly. Like, snatch the keys away. Exactly. Your life is crazy. And I honestly, I wasn't doing half the uh, amount of things that some of the people I know were doing. It was still crazy. And I had to look at that and just go, no, I will not keep living this way. Mm -hmm. I see it killing me. I see it not doing what I want. And But you know what happens right away is right away, three extremely important, embarrassing to back out of things pop up. And so, you know, I get one call from Sam and then it's that evening as I'm thinking through, okay, what are not very much fits in a healthy life, folks, not very much fits in a healthy life. So I'm picking the few things to put in. And I get a text from Anthony, who I work with. Hey, man, just making sure two hours we have a donor event for this nonprofit thing that we've been working on. A few guys are going to have whiskey and cigars. The only problem was I had just, on a piece of paper, put a line through doing that work in particular. It was so genuinely embarrassing to be in the wrong and have to reach out to these guys and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be there. That really hangs you out to dry, and I simply apologize. It must be really frustrating, Mm. but I won't be available for events like that Mm. anymore. I'm not going to do that work. So it takes, the point is, it takes like a real Mm. resolve just to go, my life is not producing what I want it to. I will really try something different. And I remember I asked you about it early on. And I said, Dad, what do you think about a rule of life? And give me one of those sage on the mountain. Your rule of life is what you pick up when it gets shattered. <laughs> and the other half of that was the other things you just let stay on the floor. So it will get broken immediately. It will get challenged immediately. But it's the resolve to I will pick it up again. I will pick up certain practices again. I will let things lie on the ground that will actually let you into, begin yep. a life that, like, 
I'm telling you, it takes, my experience is it takes about six months to feel remotely different. Yeah. But when, but when you get your first hint of waking up feeling rested or really laughing at a joke or something that just shows, man, I, I'm like at a very slow pace, kind of starting to do better, then yeah. you start to realize the appeal. Yes. So Resilient is doing well, and the interview requests are coming in. Jamie and I were laughing about this on a podcast in August, and I didn't know what to do with all these interview requests. And so I said, you know what, Jesus, here's what I think I need to do, is I'm going to say no to every single one of them. But I, need to, I just need to step and pray, Lord, is that what I need to do? Because my fall looks like madness, and somewhere something has to start giving. Something's got to go, right? This is something I actually have say over. I have a lot of agency here. I can say no. I can say, I'm so sorry. My fall schedule is full. Thank you very much. I'm so sorry. And I said, Jesus, I need to check in with you on that. I, and Jesus says to me, he says, and when exactly would you do those interviews? And you know how he's kind of able in a moment to sort of show you something? It, it, it's as if he showed me my fall. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. Because there was the intensive and then there were the out-of-town guests. And then we've got to fly to the East Coast to do that thing. And I, I'm like, there, there is no room. Like, this, is, this has got to go. Something's got to go. And I can begin to pare down. And it's painful. But there are choices we can make. I think we'll probably end with this. Because the main pushback we get is, but you don't know my life. But you don't understand. And then comes, I'm a single mom and da 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 da. But you don't understand. I am a caregiver and at the kind of thing. And I go, look, but there is God. There is God. He has a way for each of us to find Him and to find a daily rhythm to find Him. The, the rhythm that we heard from a, a woman that works in a very difficult clinical situation right now as a clinical therapist is she says, well, I get up uh, before four o'clock in the morning and I do 30 days to resilient. I do the morning session twice in a row. And then I do the evening session twice in a row. And after that 40 some minutes of finding God, th then I can begin my day. I, there's a way, There, there is a way that we can find our way out of the madness and into the life we want. So maybe this would be a, an exercise, folks, to think about. It would be to do what Blaine did, to sit down and, and to begin to journal out, who, who do I want to be? What do I want to become? What do I want my life to feel like? What do I want people to experience when they're with me? And then look at your current way of life, because you do have a rule of life. Everybody does. You're living it right now. And ask yourself, is that going to produce that? 